good evening. You are listening to the Year Now podcast. I am not reading from a script, even though Mark thinks that I was. I can't believe that you you are off the cuff every time when you do this intro. Like, I was fuming when I couldn't find your document. The fact that a document doesn't exist, I'm impressed. Maybe Craig's more anyway. of an actor than we think. You know, he just has these things, like, memorized, and he recites them. Yeah. Like a professional. Uh, definitely. I'm definitely a thespian from way back. Uh, so joining me this evening, yeah, so, so I'm back from holidays, and I listened to the podcast that was to hear what was said about me last week. So anyway, joining me this evening, I've got Broman. Kiora. And Mark. Hey. So yes, uh, yeah, so I, the podcast last week was uh, gets a passing grade. Nothing really bad was said about me, so that was okay. By pass, do you mean C's get degrees sort of passing or yeah. like are we at a B minus and A plus? Like, what the heck? On, give us a scale here. Like merit, distinction. These are the kinds of words I was expecting to hear, not a pass. <laughs> Did we get scholarship? It was, very, it was a very enjoyable podcast. Okay, so university so, entrance uh, at least. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I, I went uh, to Australia and, and as a relation to pod, in the uh, newsletter, had a, had a nice time and... Um, visited some of Susan's family and um, then spent a bit of time tripping around uh, East Gippsland. And the, the, the funniest thing was the uh, the trip, the flight uh, home where the where there was a guy across the aisle uh, from me who was talking to some, uh, to his fellow passengers about all sorts of conspiracy theories and uh, weirdness. How did you, did you manage to bite your tongue for the entire thing? Well, he was he was kind of like slightly diagonally back behind me across the across the aisle. So um, I kept sort of looking back a little bit and uh, to see whether the the woman needed help. But uh, uh, they they'd had a conversation for long enough that they'd sort of established rapport with each other, and then he kind of went into all this uh, weird conspiracy theory stuff. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've sat somewhere before where I've I've heard a conversation like that going on next to me, but it was in the audience for a David Ike talk. So, you know, it, well, part of the course, expected. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think, um, I mean, I thought that really wasn't cool to be on a plane and uh, and trying to convince uh, your pa- fellow passengers of the uh uh, the truth of conspiracy theories, and he was asking them all sorts of questions, like um, about how, why did Building Seven collapse at the because it had a attacks. big hole in it round the back that wasn't filmed very much, and major fires. That's why it collapsed. Yes. Anyway, but yeah, now it was all it was always strange. But, but now, Craig, um, we're not going to be able. You know, you're going to be heading off again sometime soon again, aren't you? So you're going to have to yes. get to experience the wonderful wonders of a. Uh, Conspiracy theorists on planes again soon. Well, I hope not to encounter any conspiracy theorists on my trip, but yeah. <sighs> anyway, I, I'm sure there'll be some interesting things that I run into, considering that my first place I'm going to visit is Salt Lake City. So um, I will have to look out for various Mormon temples and um, various Mormons <laughs> and uh, see, see, whether they, uh, see whether they treat me nicely. Well, they're of course going to treat you nicely, but I think you I think you should take the opportunity to really explore Mormon food culture. Okay. Yeah, you know, you're not going to have access to your coffee in quite the same way, so you may want to learn how to uh, enjoy something called dirty cola. 
Dirty cola. Okay, well, yeah. just as well because I don't drink coffee. But anyway, dirty cola. What exactly is oh, that? It's it's like basically Coke with coffee creamer in it. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> is this <laughs> as close as they can get to coffee? Coca Cola with creamer in it. Oh. Some people mm. rate it. They think it's tasty. You know. It's like okay. it's, like think about like a spider. You know, or if you have a root beer, if you ever had a root beer float. Yeah, it's such a religious thing, isn't it? You you have a rule where your God says you cannot do this. And rather than taking a Uzu, I shouldn't do it. it it's more a, an instruction to get as close to doing it as you can without quite crossing what you think that it. spiritual yeah. line is. We all well, know I about will... soaking, Mark. We all know about soaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that and many, many other things. I'm, I'm thinking about like um, Orthodox Jews and just how they live their lives, just how weird and wonderful it can get just to make sure that they're technically following all the rules while still being able to live a modern life. It, it gets crazy at times. Anyway, so um, I'm certainly willing to give uh, dirty, dirty Coke. I think that's what, what it's called. called? Yeah. Dirty, dirty Coke. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, as long as I don't have to sniff it and get it up my nose. <laughs> that's a different sort of coke i guess yeah very yeah out into that as far as we know who knows what they're doing in the <laughs> privacy of their own homes yes. in their mlms right yeah well yes it is mlm it's the home of mlms too isn't it mm. well if not the home of mlms it's certainly the um, state where the most headquarters of mlms are mm, indeed indeed and uh, Susan is actually going to go and visit one. So, oh, what's she going to visit? Well, she she runs a um, a crafting scrapbooking business. So there's a there's a it's kind of a, it is an MLM, um, but she doesn't really participate in the in the network building side of things. She just does the selling of the crafts. It's called Close to My Heart. She sells for an MLM. Hang on a minute. This is a confession and a half. No, this is the second time Craig has mentioned it to us. Yeah. That, it, yeah. that it's an MLM, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I will hold yeah, my so tongue. In, in, th- in theory, she, I mean, she just joined because she wanted to get the discount on the products. Mm-hmm. So, so it is very much product focused. But I guess if you really wanted to, I, I mean, I just, I just can't see that anybody's going to make it big out of scrapbooking but you'd be surprised i mean it's all about being at the top of the pyramid though yeah, yeah of course <laughs> and all of it your own yeah oh i i'm gonna have to look into this because i want to figure out if they you have any silly names for their all their ranks you know or do they have the diamond or do they have like you know paper-based names do it uh, write an entire well. article exposing them for how awful they are <laughs> well yes that is one mlm that you haven't covered yet no that's true I'm well sure. they're also not oh well, yeah yeah but i don't believe they're a cult <laughs> <laughs> and then craig but, finds out the terrible terrible truth at the annual at the annual <laughs> conference in Salt <laughs> lake city utah well, that's that's the thing. She was actually she was actually going to a conference there, but they didn't get enough people turning up, so they had to cancel it. So oh, wow. uh, she's actually getting to go to a special VIP day for the people who have already booked their travel and couldn't cancel, which is the category that Susan fell into. So she gets to go and tour the factory and um, and spend the day being indoctrinated, no doubt. <laughs> And so, like, do partners who support, like, you know, people in your wife's MLM, do they get special names? 
Because like in Lula, in Lula Row, like, you know, women would be, you know, they're consultants, but sometimes the guys who are selling the products were called Lula Bros. <sighs> I have not come across that. Oh. I bet there is but, a name. She just hasn't let you know. It's well, probably too embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, scrapbooking does seem to be a pretty much exclusively female um, hobby. Uh, so she she runs workshops every every month, and every every person who turns up is a is is a woman. And that, I'm taking that as a challenge. I am breaking the mold. I'm going to go and join my local scrapbooking group. <laughs> Make a skeptical scrapbook. Well, no, 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 Mark. Mark, now you have to come and um, buy some products off Susan. Oh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been playing the long game. Here. Oh, yes, he has. He's a customer. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd rather the money went to her than anybody else in some silly MLM. So maybe I'll have to. But actually, first, I'm, I'm currently trying to join the Freemasons. I've decided that's worthy of my time. I emailed them last week. They haven't even got back to me. It's like they don't want members or something. I, I think they've done the research is what they've done. <laughs> But if we have any members uh, or any listeners, sorry, who are members of the Freemasons, which sounds unlikely, but if there are any of you out there and you are able to do me a solid and vouch for me, I'd love to hear from you because I really want an in. I, I, I don't want to have to chase them too hard, but I will do if I have to. Well, you know, we do have secret Christians in our, who are, you know, quote unquote, secret Christians in our uh, midst. So maybe, yeah, we do have a secret Freemason hanging around. <laughs> maybe a secret Rosicrucian. Who can give you a, so, a who can give you a second go? Can you not stop not just not show up at their meeting? No, Why would you not show up? It's all about showing up. No, I, I no, well, no, 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 he's saying can't I just, just show up? Uh, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think you just turn up on their door. Maybe you can, but I think normally it's like an invite thing. Um right. so yeah, but you, you can email them and ask for I might just have to message the local lodge because I only I think the email form on their website just goes to like central head office and they might not be paying attention. Maybe they have open days. Or well, they don't who you are. <laughs> A close society words, with open days. They they probably words, do. Words got around. Anyway. Um, so uh, this week uh, I was out riding my bike last last Wednesday, and um, I got a phone call, and um, it was from um, the Radio New Zealand Knights um, people saying, "Did I want to come on the radio that evening to talk about superstitions?" And because they'd heard that Mercury was in retrograde, and that was uh, a bad thing, <sighs> um, so. <laughs> So I had to do a bit of research about that because I've basically sort of ignored astrology for uh, for most of my sceptical history, apart from knowing that it's just all bunk, really, and based upon people being able to read read into stuff um, what what they will. And I know there was that experiment that was done on students uh, many decades ago where they were handed out a, a horoscope and they had to say how well uh, the horoscope described them. And then it turned out that uh, that every single student got the same horoscope and they all rated them highly that they were they were describing them. Yeah. So are either of you believers in uh, astrology? Nope. Yes, but not that I'm willing to admit to publicly. So can you just edit that bit out? I'll edit that bit out. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Right, right. So anyway, so apparently um, Mercury is in retrograde 
uh, and that means something to astrologers. And I had seen this sort of popping up on the internet, but I have no idea why it is suddenly significant. Because once I did some research into this, it turns out that Mercury in retrograde happens three or four times every year. So, so th- this is the planet going backwards, right? Where it appears to go backwards for a while in the sky because of how we're all doing circles, us and the other planets. Yes, yes. So back before Copernicus came up with the idea that uh, that all the planets were orbiting the sun, they thought that the planets were orbiting the earth. And in, in order to figure out why some of the planets seemed to go backwards at times when observed from Earth, they had to invent the things called epicycles. So they had the planets revolving around the Earth, but then the planets also did their own little cycles themselves, and that could be used to explain why sometimes they appeared to go backwards um, in the sky. So, And by backwards, I mean that if you sort of looked up in the sky and you plotted the position of the planet over multiple nights, most of the time it's going to be going in one direction, but then at some point in time it's going to sort of suddenly change direction and start going backwards. And so that's pretty hard to explain if all the planets are revolving around the Earth. But if we're all revolving around the Sun, which is... um, which as I think is the majority belief, um, then it is actually fairly easy to, to explain because we have different orbital periods. And when, when you get uh, Mercury, which goes around the sun every 88 days, and 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 the Earth going around the sun every 365 days, then the, the relative positions of those then obviously makes it so that sometimes the planet Mercury looks like it's actually going in the opposite direction. So it's all all down to a optical illusion um, and of course all of many of the other planets do this as well so um, it turns out that uh, there is at least one planet planet in retrograde motion uh, for the majority of the year <laughs> um, but the question so I, I, is can I can I just oh, correct a technical thing please because you know I, sure. I love being very particular about these things but you you said that all the planets um, they rotate around the sun right? But in actual fact, the sun and the planets all rotate around a gravitational center between them. And I've just looked it up and it turns out I'm not even this sounds quite, quite weirdly accurate. But apparently it's about 100 meters above the sun's surface is that that common gravitational point between everything. But like exactly 100 meters above the surface sounds very ridiculously close to the surface. Well, the sun is a huge gravitational um, object in comparison to the planets. Yeah, but I'd assumed it was more than that. I, from what I oh, remember right. reading before, I thought the that common center that everything revolves around was actually within the sun. Um, but it turns out it's not. It's oh. only just outside of the sun's surface, however you man- measure where that surface is. Hmm. And 100 meters, that's a very round number. Maybe it's designed that way. Well, around 100 meters it, it's just it's so close it's ridiculous i mean the sun is so huge that only being right. 100 meters outside seems weirdly close to the surface <laughs> yeah i mean how circular is or how spherical is the sun i mean it seems to me that 100 meters would be within the sort of variation of the of the diameter of the sun i would have thought but i'm not an astronomer so what would i know Oh, sorry. There's going to be some noises from me. My cult is calling again, and they're going to be annoying. Uh, um, so just so, ignore the little beeps. 
So, Craig, I mean, what was the particular interest from um, Radio NZ Nights? Because as you said, you know, retrograde happens three or four times a year. What was so special about it happening this well, time around? I, th- I think it had just sort of started popping up on the Internet. And it's just one of these things that suddenly became a topic of interest. Mm-hmm. And whether it was just because there were more people interested in it, I don't know. But if you if you go and research it on the internet, you find that the various sites like uh, CNN that used to be a uh, a well respected news site, but uh, seems to have gone downhill over the last few weeks, um, is is promoting um, products that can help you uh, deal with Mercury being in retrograde. And and the reason that people are concerned is that Mercury is um, named after the messenger god. And so it's known as the uh, planet of communication. So all the astrologers are saying things like, well, don't don't go and buy a new car uh, while Mercury is in retrograde, or you may have problems sending emails um, <laughs> because it's it's the planet of communications. <laughs> so it's all these it, it, kind of weird things. And, of course, if you have a trouble sending an email, then you can attribute that to uh, Mercury being in retrograde, if you like. It's all confirmation bias. Well, I guess it um, all sort of leads out. It sort of sounds like it's all part of this this consequence of, you know, our economic uncertainty. And with economic uncertainty, we always have this sort of increase in interest in the occult, in the supernatural, in the paranormal. Mm. And astrology just sort of falls right into that, uh, into those categories. Yeah. So they, they would sort of interest in, in superstitions and, and where, where I thought that superstitions came from. So I just sort of talked about how um, it's sort of a way for people to explain things when they want to be able to have control over their lives. It's easier to um, think that there is something that's controlling things rather than uh, things being random happenings and shit just happens. Yeah, a lot of people don't like that idea of randomness, that lack of control. It's much easier for them to think that it all means something that, you know, their suffering is it's for a greater um, something that's going to happen eventually. And it's all a learning process or, you know, it's teaching them valuable lessons. And it's like, no, no, the world is just random. I mean, we try and make as much order as we can out of it and live good lives and, and treat each other nicely. But there's a lot of randomness going on there. And sometimes when bad stuff happens, it, it's just a roll of the dice. Yep. So, yeah, uh, and so they were interested in that, and then we got on to talking about the uh, challenge, um, and I just mentioned that again, and uh, which was quite good. They seemed to be quite interested in that and um, mentioned uh, each of the each of the people that we have challenged. So got in a further mention on the radio about uh, Calvin Crookshank and Ken Ring. Ring and Kirsten Taylor. And I see your segue. Well played. <laughs> well, yes, because Kirsten Taylor. Uh, so the, there was somebody who uh, emailed me that they had put in an Official Information Act request because, and I don't know why we didn't think about doing this, but in the article in Stuff um, about a month ago where they revealed that we had um, set up the challenge, they, after talking to me, they um, went and spoke. They tried to speak to each of the people we challenged. And so they actually spoke to Kirsten Taylor from Sleep Drops. 
According to the article, she made the claim that Sleep Trops had had funding from the Callahan Innovation, uh, what are they called? Uh, Callahan Institute? Yeah, I'm not sure. Are they an institute? Oh, no, uh, it looks like maybe it's just Callahan Innovation. It's just called Callahan yeah. Innovation, yeah. New Zealand's Innovation Agency. But it's basically, it's a government fund that companies can apply to, to pay for R&D and that sort of stuff. So somebody um, whose name we don't know, but they go by the um, handle um, the Blue Lib or Lib Blue. We found them on Twitter. They seem to be quite active on Twitter. Well, hang um, on, is, isn't this, this the other way around? Because the the Liz Blue was the name of the person who put in the OIA request, and that that right, right. is their real yes. name. We we don't know that it is Blue Lib. I I suspect it's not their real name. Um, but Liz, but I'm, I'm not sure what happens if you make an OIA request with a fake name. Maybe you get marched off to jail. Well, any name could be a fake no, name. I mean, I could put an OIA request that says, you know, my name is Jack Smith. You, yes, you can do. But the I point can. is, I, I don't know what implications or what repercussions there are for that, because I'm pretty sure it's not legal to request an OIA under under a fake name. You have to give your own name and you have to be a New Zealand resident or someone living in New Zealand. OK, well, that is interesting. As far as I can see, they did it via the website that lets you submit OIA requests. Um, I'm just trying to find the email. Anyway, we're getting off off track. So this person, whoever they are, put in an OIA request to Callahan Innovation to find out whether this was true, that Sleep Drops actually did get funding from them. And so Callahan Innovation were pretty good about it, and they seem to come back pretty quickly. And we now are in position. Well, no, we're not in position. We have seen the documents that have come back as part of the OIA request from Callahan Innovation. And it makes for some, I guess, mildly interesting reading because it reveals the emails that were exchanged between Sleep Drops and Callahan Innovation in order to try and get this funding for their R&D happening. One of the interesting things that was revealed in the emails is that they actually weren't trying to get R&D funding for their Sleep Drops product the the product that supposedly makes you go to sleep or improve or stops your insomnia or whatever they want to claim it does but they were trying to create a product a natural health product that was a pain relief i don't think there are too many products in that space but to me that's kind of interesting and and the the angle they were driving at there was that one of the primary reasons they claim that people can't sleep is because they have pain. So if they can have a product that's a pain reliever, then that would help people sleep. Um, So what do you think about that? (laughs) I think it's bad enough that Sleep Drops is selling one nonsense product on the market Mm -hmm. or a range of nonsense products for sleep, which they haven't done proper scientific testing of, and they've been selling to consumers for many years now with absolutely no good quality evidence that it works. The idea of them already bringing out a second product, I mean, you know, great that they're thinking they might need to get testing, but it is only need to, right? From what I could see in the documents, Mm -hmm. they're getting testing because they want to be able to sell it overseas. And some markets like China and Japan need some level of evidence. So this is why they're doing it. But 
presumably they're going to be fine making this anyway and selling it in New Zealand and other countries that don't require evidence for natural health products, even though there's no evidence that the damn thing's going to work. And there's probably not going to be because it's going to be a few very diluted herbs is basically if she's following the formula that she's done for sleep drops, Kirsten is going to make another weak herbal formula with some herbs where she can maybe grab a few papers that mention that maybe they have some kind of pain relief properties. And then off she goes. And that's just annoying, isn't it? That, mm. that, you know, that we have companies in this country that are doing that, not just to New Zealanders, but flogging it overseas as well. It's like people really just need to have medicines available that actually work. Not, not this nonsense where people like Kirsten get away with saying whatever they like almost about it and make lots of horrible claims that don't don't get backed up by any evidence. So, yeah, for me, it's frustrating. Um, my worry is that she'll just be able to do it, especially given that she said, what was her R&D um, cost? She reckoned it might be $90,000, which is... It seems pretty cheap. Not much at all. And if she can do it no. for 90 k and they're probably making good money, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this new product on the market soon. One of the things that was in the documents was the initial contact that they put in to Callahan Innovation, which described their company. And what they claimed was that they had the four full-time equivalent employees doing R&D. But they said the spending on that was only about $50,000. So that, to me, looked like it was a bit strange. How can you have four full-time employees but only be costing $50,000? That's well below the minimum wage. Well, <laughs> was that for a year? I mean, that might just be each of those four staff members working on it for two months. No, I well, yeah, but then it wouldn't be full-time equivalent because an FTE is like a person for a year as far as I understand. Oh, full-time is just that they're, they're being paid for 40 hours a week, isn't it? Rather than part-time, which is, which like, is less so, than 40 hours a week. So mm. if you go for if you say one FTE, that is 40 hours. If you say 0.8, that's about, or 0.9, that's about 36 32. hours a week. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Eight would be 32. Yeah, 36. Now, just to go back to the idea of being um, anonymous or using a pseudonym, fyi.org.nz is sort of a big clearinghouse. That is the website. Yes, right. So that's the big website where you can go and see these OIA requests, and they sort of as a bit of a clearinghouse for all OIA requests that you can make. No, no, it's not. Um, What happens with FYI is Mm -hmm. if you submit an OIA request through FYI, it keeps an audit trail of it there. But a lot of OIA requests never go through FYI. This is not a government thing. It's a private thing that's set up just to track OIAs if you submit them through the website. But they do make an they do have an option where you can make an make an OIA request through them. And they do, they don't say it's illegal, but they do say it's recommended that you don't use a pseudonym. So you can, but they recommend that you don't. Yeah, but, but the point it is that it's, search. You, you will not find all OIA requests by a large margin on that site. What you will find is OIA requests that have been made through their site. And they do this clever thing where they generate like a, a unique random email every time you make a submission. And so that can keep track of the return emails that are coming back, which means that they can keep it all connected to your one request, which means that they can display them all in a nice handy dandy format on a single web page, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. I'm just saying that there's still there seems to still be a bit of gray area as to whether you can, you know, whether, you know, you're a Liz or you're Elizabeth or you're a different name. 
Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. You, as I said, you. I mean, physically, you can lie about your name. I don't know what the legislation says. And certainly FYI.org.nz should not be treated as legislation about OA. It's a private effort to try and do a, what is a really good job of making sure that as many OIA requests as possible are in the public domain. And it's great. And I wished all journalists used it. It would be great if it was used more than it is. It's an amazing tool. But yeah, it, it's not government run. Um, it's private individuals running it. So the other the other interesting thing I that sort of came out of this too was that sort of seeing the people that are involved with Sleep Drops and with Callahan Innovation, mm. Sleep Drops seem to be going through a guy as part of the Auckland Chamber of Commerce who specialised in doing Callahan Innovation grants or helping companies sort of navigate the process of putting in a grant. And when you look him up on LinkedIn, he just has this business background, used to be a real estate agent. To me, I guess he doesn't have any science background, so he wouldn't sort of have any understanding of um, what they're trying to achieve. The guy who was pushing for this from Sleep Drops also had a uh, a business background. Um, he was a foreign exchange trader at a bank, and he was employed freelance as the general manager of Sleep Drops for about four months, and he no longer seems to be involved with them. But um, it all kind of seems a bit, what's the right word? A bit loose, um, not much science involved. The feeling I get from looking at those documents from Callahan Innovation is that they sort of seem to be a bit confused about whether whether this would be a good um, thing for them to fund, I think. <laughs> That really shouldn't be confusion, should there? I mean, you know, look, looking at Sleep Drops and their history and their products, um, it, it's a massive set of red flags that are there that Callahan should be staying as far away as possible. Yeah, the fact they're even entertaining. I mean, I came out with it with either. They are seriously considering it, and that's that's a real mess. Or they realize that what they're dealing with is somebody that's got products that don't work because they're herbal nonsense. And they're just trying to be Kiwi polite. Um, you know, they, they want to say no without ever actually having to say no. So they're kind of, you know, giving some kind of lukewarm advice and, and being very nice as much as they can. While somewhere in the background, you know, when they when they meet over the water cooler, the staff have probably agreed that they're, they're not going to give money to something that is a ripoff and is going to be taking people's money in return for something that doesn't work. That's that's mm. my hope was it was that one. It was Kiwi politeness. Yeah, I guess they have to follow the process and go through, um, have to treat any application seriously that uh, that come in and they've obviously got a process to follow and decide whether or not something is worth funding. Uh, for context, this all sort of played out um, it began during the pandemic, so it looked like the application was put in about September 2020, um, and then there are various emails that go into 2021 uh, with seemingly sort of more desperate emails from Kirsten Taylor to Callahan Innovation saying, what's going on? Um, doesn't seem to be any action happening here. She's disappointed. Uh, she's got this uh trial that supposedly AUT, the Auckland University of Technology, uh going to run for her, but she needs funding for it and um nothing was happening. And so it all seems to have dried up. Anyway, I think the conclusion that we can come to at the end of this is that what was reported in stuff in that article is not accurate. She <laughs> sleep drops have not received 
funding from Callahan Innovation. Wonder why she claimed that they did. I maybe makes the company look more important. Yeah, I mean, I I think given what she's selling, not surprising that she's fast and loose with the truth and and willing to bend things a little bit to make her company look better. She does seem like quite a savvy businesswoman, so I'm not overly surprised that she's she's playing it like this. Yeah, well, th- th- I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? When you look at all those emails, they all the emails from Fleet Drops have got all these um, banners at the bottom saying they've won all these uh, prestigious business awards, um, which really means that they'd be good at selling stuff to people. And, yeah, and sadly, <laughs> not this is- that the product is good. Sadly, it's often the case that when it comes to business awards, they don't care whether something actually works or not, or whether it's ripping people off. What they care about is what's the revenue like and how does it compare to expenses? What you know, How much money is this company bringing in, especially for uh, some of these awards? If you're selling overseas and you're bringing money into New Zealand, that's seen as a great thing. So yeah, I phoned up like a chamber of commerce before and, and had a go at them for promoting nonsense that doesn't work. And their, their line basically seemed to be similar. Um, you know, we've not really considered whether it works or not. What we're interested in is how much money is this company making and how many people are they employing in the local area? That that was kind of their metrics for the awards. Mm. But uh, good work, Liz Blue, if you're listening. Um, yeah. Yeah, That's nice OIA. Oh, sorry, just in the background, I'm I'm in the middle of my cult meeting at the moment and they've, they've got someone to be pretending to be a member of the cult who they've given him a bunch of prompts that he's supposed to post in our Facebook chat as our sermon's going on. Um, And the prompts all have an instruction on what emoji to use. So um, there's one that says, amen, brackets sent with love effect. So he's supposed to send the word amen and then add a love heart to it. But he's just pasting it with the instructions in brackets into the chat every time. So it's so obvious he's following a script and he's a patsy for this cult. It's just very funny to see. But is anybody that's actually reading it uh, actually really aware that that's going on except for you? I imagine not. I imagine most of them think probably this guy just doesn't know how to use emojis and this is his way of doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, Uh, so... The country is not Aotearoa. It's New Freeland, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at least part of it is New Freeland. Um, and this is something um, I wrote about a couple of years ago, and uh, I think I talked with Graham Hill about it as well on the radio. Um, and it's basically uh, Kelvin Alp, who we know from um, a lot of nonsense. He's been in court recently. I think he's even had a conviction against him, but he's been running Counterspin along with Hannah Spearer for a while. It's like an online TV conspiracy show. Um, and a couple of years ago, he interviewed an ex-lawyer called Liz Lambert. And Liz was telling him about her flavor of the sovereign citizen movement um, where you can basically make yourself a citizen of your own country or divorce yourself from the country that you're currently in so that its laws don't um, rule over you anymore, that, you know, you are you are a free citizen of your own country. And her her flavor of this was all about a lodial title, the idea that you could claim a lodial title on your land by 
planting a some seeds or a plant in the ground and sticking a flag in the ground, making a public declaration, um, kind of giving a little speech when you're there and then publicly posting it on Facebook. And apparently this is enough that the property you do this on becomes your own. And just for a laugh, I did it myself. I, um, I went out with my kids, got one of them to make a flag. We went out into the garden one cold morning and um, made the declaration that, that my house in Whitby is now its own sovereign nation and it's no longer part of New Zealand. It was kind of fun to do. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm still paying rates and I still have to pay mortgage. So Liz is wrong there when she says you don't have to pay rates when you've done that. Turns out as an ex-lawyer, I wouldn't trust her. Um, but what- Mark, you're just a mug for paying those rates. <laughs> you should just I not am. pay them. I am. But weirdly, what I have, what I did see like a couple of years ago when I was trawling through the Facebook groups for this was people who weren't paying their rates. They were getting more and more exasperated because councils kept sending them bigger and bigger bills and not just their rates like adding up over time because they haven't been paid, but also fines. They were starting to find that they had to pay even more money. And then they were starting to get court warnings that they were going to be taken to court if they didn't pay. So, uh, yeah, you know, there was certainly a little bit of an alarm bell for me there that the people were trying it were not having a good time. But fun as it was, I I totally forgot about it for a while, about this particular thing they were going to do, which was an idea that they were going to claim Abel Tasman National Park, the entire park as a new country, and they were going to call it New Freeland. Um, And I assume this was just going to be them talking and nothing was going to happen of it. But recently, an article came out from Charlie Mitchell that was really good, which looked at what happened since a couple of years ago when they said they were going to take over Abel Tasman Tasman National Park. And it turns out they did give it a go. And um, It looks like Charlie used OIAs in order to get some information out of Doc. Um, And the first thing he got that I found hilarious was a picture of a tiny little tent. It almost looks like a beach tent um, that has a, a stick next to it with a sign on it with Kelvin Alp's name on it claiming that the national park, it belongs to Kelvin Alp and it's New Freeland. And this was stuck somewhere in the middle of Abel Tasman National Park. I don't know whether Kelvin went and did it himself or whether one of his followers did it for him. But this was a claim that the park was its own sovereign territory. And and after this, it turns out there were a couple of attempts. So Liz Lambert, this ex-lawyer who's giving out this dodgy advice, she and another woman turned up at the National Park one day and there's like a a historic house there, like an old wooden property that they they tried to take over. Um, But by this point, Doc were well aware of what was going on. They'd been checking out the Facebook forums like I had. They'd written an intelligence report about Counterspin and Liz Lambert and this whole sovereign citizen idea of being able to claim something as your own and about their particular idea of taking over Abel Tasman. So they'd let the police know they'd given the police this report and um, a simple phone call to the police and these women um, were removed. Um, But this wasn't the only attempt. Then Kelvin out later on told people on a certain date they needed to be at Abel Tasman Park. This was the moving in day when they were going to make this new community in the park where they were going to take over. And like it always is with these things, it was going to be a utopia. You know, people growing their own food and becoming self-sustained. 
and everybody was going to live in harmony with no rules or laws, the kind of thing that practically will never happen. Um, but they, they, a few of them went down there. Turns out Kelvin out again didn't turn up. It was the middle of an Auckland lockdown, and he was stuck in Auckland, so he couldn't go down. But at like a camper van and a, and a truck turned up, and a few people tried to take over Abel Tasman for a few days, uh, and that failed as well. Apparently, nobody came to help me. Like when... We had um, some of the major protests during COVID when we've had like the um, the big, was it Hikoi across the nation or whatever it was. And, and when we've had the parliament protest, a lot of people have stood up and delivered food and delivered portaloos and all sorts. This effort to take over um, the national park got no support. The guys had no food. They, they got there with whatever they turned up with. And very quickly, it was obvious that nobody else was coming. So they disappeared pretty quickly. Um, so I, I was just fascinated to read that that wasn't the end of it. You know, them just saying they're going to overtake this national park, wasn't it? They, they actually did try a couple of times. I think Doc did a good job of being very prepared, probably over-prepared, but they they were very aware that this was a thing that was that someone was going to try and i think quite concerned about it which which was good better over prepared than under prepared certainly um and what i did so i had a look to see if there was anything else since then i jumped on they tried to jump on the facebook group that liz lambert had been running before new freeland that's now being deleted but now she's running some new facebook groups and the one i looked at was called a lodial world and what i saw in there was a whole bunch of Facebook posts that look very similar to the Facebook post I made a couple of years ago. There's a whole bunch of people who have posted in there with pictures of their flags um, and pictures of their property showing that now this is their own sovereign territory. And it looks like, you know, tens and tens of people in this country have been sucked in by the whole sovereign citizen allodial title Liz Lambert nonsense. And they they really do think that now they've made their own country that, you know, that there's like tens of new countries within New Zealand. And it's <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's really weird to think that anybody um, thinks that this is the case. I don't know whether some of them doing it just symbolically or whether any of them have tried recently to get away with not paying rates. Um, I certainly didn't see anybody saying, hey, I've got trouble. Um, I think there was one person that was saying that they were having problems with the courts, but a, a lot of it, people seem to be wanting to get away with fishing as much as they want. They want to be not paying parking fees. I've seen some stuff to do with this where people are interested in um, avoiding any issues to do with their children and the government basically having a say on how they raise their children, which honestly is quite concerning. Um, mm. But but yeah, it looks like it's died down a little, but but people are still doing this. They still believe in these, I, I think a while ago I described it as like magic incantations, that they think that there's some legalese they can use, there's some sprinkle of magic legal words that they can say, and suddenly the law doesn't um, doesn't apply to them anymore. It's, it's an odd thing, it really is, and fascinating to look at. Well, we, we saw that with um, the arrest of uh, Vinnie Eastwood the first time, didn't we? He was, he was, when he was dragged away from, by police, he was saying, I do not consent I did yes. not consent, and he was and, trying to. Um, the other one was, "I do not understand. I do not I do stand, not stand under." under. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <sighs> very poetic. Um, th there was a there was a woman, I think, down in Palmerston North. Was her name Kerry Ann or something? She I had seen posts on on Twitter about 
sort of pictures of uh, invoices and, and notices from the council about uh, her paying rates and so on. But that I've not seen any of that lately, so I wonder what has become of her, whether she's realised that she's mm. just being foolish and finally given and paid up or, or whether things are progressing. Yeah, was Carrie-Anne one of the ones that became a sheriff? Yeah, people were just so. making themselves yes. sheriffs. That that was another weird one. And again, it's it's this whole legalese thing of they think that if they have a bit of paper that mentions things, and it's all written in a certain way, you know, it's square brackets around it, and liberal mention of maritime law. Um, and with the sheriffs, they ended up somehow convincing a justice of the peace to give a, a stamp to this bit of paper, and and they just thought that this suddenly made them into law enforcement officers. Hmm. Yeah, well, we we've seen that that van that got sign written with the sheriff on it, which wouldn't have been cheap. It was uh, certainly quite an elaborate sign um, signage on the side of the van, which probably would have amounted to uh, several thousand dollars of work, unless there was some sort of sympathetic sign writer who did it for on the cheap, I suppose. Yeah, and it kind of it like. Like David Farrier said about, I can't remember who, but about a group a while ago, he described them as being by about like LARPers. You know, you're you're role playing this thing, and then I think the next article that he came out with, he apologised to LARPers, saying <laughs> <laughs> he didn't mean any insult to them by comparing them to these conspiracy theorists. But yeah, it it, it feels like a role playing thing. It feels like the people in it are probably having a really exciting time because they think they've learned these these amazing truths. Um, and the world to them must look very different to how it does to most of us as they're imagining that they've got this power from these things they're doing with this tight-knit group they're in online. But I think, it, you know, time and time again, it all comes tumbling down as soon as they try to use it in anger to avoid paying fees or anything like that, and they end up in court and judges every single time. You, you can read the exasperation in their words when, you know, you read the court proceedings about, ah, oh, it's another sovereign citizen. How many times mm. do we have to tell you that this does not work? Hmm. Well, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, we, we're all existing in this world and it's all part of a social contract that we have all agreed that, that we are going to live under the law of the land. Um, and sure, you can throw up your hands and say, no, well, I don't agree to that. But <laughs> um, the, the unfortunate reality for you is that the law of the land has established that that there are these authorities that are going to go and put you in jail or fine you or, or do nasty things to you if you don't actually um, play ball. Uh, and, and there really is no way out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to an extent, if there is, some weird quirk in the law that actually does kind of say that somebody can do these things. Somebody can, you know, claim that they're a ship and therefore they don't need to pay their parking um, or say that they are running their own nation now. It's not like a government is therefore stuck with their hands tied and there's nothing they can do about it. We, we saw no. it during the pandemic where yeah. it turns out that the government had screwed up and was using a part of the Medicines Act in a way they shouldn't have done. And the first thing they did within 24 hours of losing that court case, losing in scare quotes, mm -hmm. losing the court case to Sue Gray was that they changed the law because the law didn't make sense anymore. They they mm. fixed it and they're able to do that. So if there ever is a loophole, the government's not going to put their hands up and say, you've got us. Yeah, you've won. <laughs> your house is your own country. They'll just edit the law to make sure it's not the case anymore. 
Indeed. That's what governments do, and that's what we invite them in there to do. Yeah. Yep. And and we won't vote for them again if they do too much of it and do it in ways that we don't like. But to an extent, we really do trust them that, you know, they can make good decisions on our behalf. Mm. So, Bronwyn, you mm-hmm. wrote a fascinating uh, article about uh, Adi, Adida. And, yeah. And I, as I, I was talking to you about that earlier, it reminded me of an 80s band from New Zealand called Adi Jar which um, some of our older members may remember. They were a uh, a soul funk band from South Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you can look them, on, look them up on YouTube and have a listen to their very 80s sounding music and uh, big hair and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, anyway, tell us about Adi Da. Well, Adi Da was is one of very one of the numerous names that this American named Franklin Jones had over what the 30, 40 years that he was a guru. Um, you know, he went by Baba Free John, Da Free John, Da Love Ananda, you know. And it was, yeah, just amongst the many names he had as a spiritual teacher of what we call a new religious movement. So a new religious movement is a name given to any sort of new modern religious movement that sort of stands outside or in contrast to the dominant religious practices. So, you know, it's not Catholicism, it's not Protestant, though they can be sects or cults. However, a lot of current researchers are trying to avoid the use of um, the sect or cult words because, you know, of the of the stigma that's attached to them, be that as it may. Um, and at the same, every time this man, Franklin Jones, changed his name. He was doing it because he claimed that he was going through a, a spiritual transition. It was supposed to be a sign of him getting ever higher and higher and closer to, a transcend- to transcendence. His group or his community of followers, um, when he died, they were called Adidam, but they also went through several different names, such as the Johannine Deist movement, um, the Free Communion, the Free Primitive Communion, the Don Horse Communion. Um, so, you know, it's a group that's been around in New Zealand since about the early 70s, you know, and he's only been, he was only practicing from the early 70s, about, about 72, 73 so again, this is one of those weird fringe groups that New Zealand was an early adopter of. And mm. moreover, New Zealanders um, would go over to his ashrams in not India, but uh, San Francisco <laughs> and Hawaii, and they would work as his gardener. Um, when he died in Fiji in the sort of late 2010s, well, I should say about 2008, he had a Kiwi dentist. Um, his Most of his stuff was paid for by an Australian uh, tech tech magnet. Um, Interesting. Uh, uh, so when you say you had a Kiwi dentist, do you mean there was a Kiwi who lived in Fiji practicing no. dentistry or that he no, came to New Zealand to get his teeth fixed? Here's the interesting thing. At least when the uh, when he first bought the island, the only way you could access the island is if you were one of his selects. So he had a he had an inner circle of about forty people. However, exceptions could be made if you had a service to provide to Adi Dom and the island. So you know, I believe the dentist. Would uh, if, if the dentist didn't live on the island, he was certainly going to and from. And even the guy who spent about who spent millions of dollars both to buy the island and gave about another million to the publication arm of Adidam's group, when he, he even he couldn't just visit the island at will. He had to be invited. And when he was invited, all he got was a bit of a long hug. <laughs> and that was satisfactory. That was satisfying enough for him. But you know, I'm just sort of getting ahead of myself. So for people who aren't familiar with Adi Dom or have never heard this name before, what you do need to know is that his chief teaching was what's called non-dualism. It's the idea that, you know, God is in everything and your awareness of, 
a self, an individual is really an illusion. So your spiritual journey, your development as a person is based on, you know, trying to reunite with this divine to, and, you know, you, you have to transcend through these various different levels of your awareness and attachment to material goods. And sometimes your attachment to what you think is, um, spiritual enlightenment, um, those sort of experiences. If you believe in that, oh, I'm having this experience as an individual, um, no, you're still a flawed human being. You have to transcend that expectation in order to be part of the divine. But hey, lucky enough, um, Jones's sales pitch was that you could get through this process if you worshipped him, because he was born as what he called the seventh stage of depth. So the seventh stage was this, you know, full awareness and enlightenment and awareness of the divine. He was born with that. So he was the only person who could and was capable of, you know, reaching this transcendence. But if you worship him, you can have a bit of a taste of that rainbow. <laughs> and that'll help you along the way. So he really. So did, did you manage to find out what his background was before he oh, yeah. started this cult? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he did a lot of dabbling. Like he went to art school. You know, he actually has a proper education. He went to a couple proper universities in the U.S., like Stanford and stuff. Um, he uh, dabbled, you know, he really got into that sort of subculture of the interest in Eastern religions. Mm. So, <clears throat> and he was in New York and very much he got same time that Sri Shamoy was becoming quite popular. So people, you know, the popularity of yoga in the 1960s sort of was a big influencing factor on him. But as well, he was sort of traveling across the U.S., um, he did go to, he went, I think he did go to California for university. He got caught up in drug trials. So, you know, he had all sorts of um, crazy experiences on LSD, courtesy of uh, the Veterans Department. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually had a bit of a brief stint with uh, Scientology early on. And there's some records that uh, he sort of organized an orgy <laughs> with, uh, with some fellow auditors. So uh, he was someone who brought the fun wherever he went. <laughs> but largely his uh, his true interest and his true passion was sort of in Hindu religion. And, you know, he was able to find a couple of guru gurus that he followed. But as he was sort of developing along those sort of spiritual paths and he made sort of several trips in India while he was working for um, an airline, he gradually became disillusioned because as these ashrams became more popular with Westerners, they would become a lot more commercialized and industrialized and the guru and his gurus would have less time for him. Um, and he got a little bit disgruntled with that. So, you know, he ends up going on this journey to a temple that another guru of his was buried at. And he ends up having the vision of the Virgin Mary of all things. <laughs> and this a bit this, of a crossover there. Yeah, very much. But this Virgin Mary said, okay, Leave this place, go on an OE, go visit, all, go on your pilgrimage to all these Christian sites across Europe. He does that. He returns to the U.S. And after, say, a, couple, a year or so, he eventually starts his own group. And, yeah, he owned a bookstore. I think the, it's alleged that the money came from uh, the mob, the West Coast mob. The West Coast mob. Yeah. Like, yeah, the mobsters, West... yeah West, mobsters on the West Coast. Oh, and so the west coast of the right. US. Like, yeah, yeah, west coast of the US. Right. Sorry, yeah. Not not the west coast of the South Island. No, no. Um he he was he's he he didn't come to New Zealand until 1988. Right. Right. Um Okay. So yeah, he ha he owned this bookstore, he sold he, you know, we do say he published about 72, 75 books, some of them were posthumous, but 
he had a reputation for giving public talks. So a lot of these public talks, same thing with Ann Davies, same thing with Shri Shamoy. You had a follower who was transcribing all these talks, and then they would eventually be collated into book collections. Hmm. And, you know, he became quite popular. If you see pictures of him, you know, for the 1960s, 1970s, he was a fairly attractive dude. You know, he would, you know, I could see why he was appealing. You know, he was an American. He spoke very plainly. He, you know, there was, an, there was something that was alluring about Franklin Jones. Um, so one thing that happened um, that sort of ended up kind of coming to bite his group in the ass happened in 1974. And he decided to do something called Crazy Wisdom. Now, Crazy Wisdom was a bit of a cultural appropriation of a real religious concept called divine madness. And the idea is that you are so religious, you are, you are so deep in your belief in God what have you that you know you lose all sense of you know societal standards you know nothing matters and your actions in in behave in your worship um are seen as a little bit crazy you know it's not it's against the societal norms so what he was doing was okay your relationships you know your marriages your boyfriends your girlfriends your husbands your wives those sort of connections they're kind of cultish so how about we mm-hmm. break them trust me you know and people did find that they were you know they were going to these really unusual edges and really uncomfortable places. Um, it came to, it came to be a four month period in 1974, late 1973 to early 1974 um, of, you know, they're making pornos, uh, lots of swapping. Um, there is also sexual assault, lots of drug taking. And then at the end of it, he's like, yeah, don't you see none of it's worth it. <laughs> right. It's like, here's this party. And then turning around saying, yeah, you know, it's, mm. Do you realize this doesn't, you know, this means nothing? Um, but however, all this, all these parties get published into a book called The Garbage and the Goddess. And when that book got published, even after their organized, the Adi Dom's group sort of moved on from that and were going to, going back to their more restrictive lifestyle, their vegetarian diets, their, you know, only having one partner, maybe not, you know, maybe practicing celibacy and so on people were showing up at their at their properties like looking for these parties so eventually they actually had to take that particular book off of um out of sale now certainly what happened um franklin jones didn't really give up the party he he just sort of kept his activities within the inner circle and around 1985 um his president was going through a pretty the president of jones's organization at that time was going through a pretty bitter divorce and his ex-wife decided to sue the organization for things like um, assault, unlawful imprisonment. And then that brought all these other defectors to come up through the woodwork and start going public with their claims. So there was a big period of about, say, April to May in 1985, where there is a lot of news articles about all these different claims of, you know, children being um, being allowed to drink, like minors, like people, kids who are four to nine years old being allowed to drink on the properties, you know, again, sexual assault, rape, drugs all that stuff. Um, Jones chooses to not speak to it, but it seems that it actually had a really negative mental effect um, effect on his mental health. He retreats to this Fijian island that his member bought for him. And yeah, from there, he sort of changes his tune, goes a little bit more into that, you know, new age guru look, keeps on writing books, does a little bit of travel. Um, and somehow actually just before his death, started reinventing himself as actually a, a pretty good artist. <laughs> um, he was he was invited to the um, Venice Biennial, which is a oh, pretty... Oh, uh, and yes. that's, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so in the news, so I saw that that picture that you put in there of the uh, the art. Mm. But I mean, yeah. After 1985, um, you know, that group goes quiet. Whether this group was ever a big group is up to debate. Um, they'll sort of claim, yes, we have hundreds of, you know, we'll always have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people on our mailing list. But in their headquarters in California, they never really cracked, it seemed, more than maybe 1,200 members in the state. You look at sort of New Zealand, which was one of the early adopters. And whenever anyone talked about Adidam in sort of the 80s and 90s, it was, and we have a center in New Zealand. I think probably membership in the entire country might run in the tens. So you so, were telling me that there's a um, there's actually currently a place in Henderson Valley in mm. Auckland where they have some sort of facility. Well, it's 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 a it's a center. They call it the Adidam Center. Right. It's their current location. They hold yoga retreats. Um, it's where their religious activities and spiritual activities take place. And it is the current location of their bookstore called Don Horse Books. Um, mm. You know, they have well, I might just have to take a little trip out there yeah, and you see might. what I can see. Yep. Roman, but, did you notice if they do any free events that Craig could sign up for? No, I think you know, if Craig follows the website, he might find um he can go to one of their not Christmas Christmas parties. Ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> well, I mean it's 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 a it's a festive occasion that's really based around Adi Dom <laughs> about about Franklin Jones, and you could the kids can buy, you know decorations for their trees and then all the decorations i've heard in past tales someone said yeah all the decorations were then collected at the end of the festival and then they were just on sale again for the next year <laughs> so you bought them again um but you know they've actually always had some sort of property in auckland uh definitely a confirmed location on high street in auckland in the 80s that's where they had their bookstore as well as the education arm of the organization which was called laughing man institute and coming across a random um, reference to them in a 2012 NZ Herald article, which was about sort of a beach on the west coast, on the west side of Auckland. Uh, apparently, that in the Educational Institute of Adidam, the Laughing Man Institute, had tried to establish themselves there and got run out by council, by the city council. So I'm trying to find out what that story is of why they got run out of, uh, away from this particular beach. <laughs> Interesting. So anyways, Adidam died in Fiji in 2008, and the group itself, like many other religious groups who are based around a guru, have sort of stagnated. You know, mm. all the, all, every, you know, if you look at their newsletters, all their writing is very much based on things that he wrote back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s. So, mm. and, and because he was the only seventh stage adept, and you're kind of really into, and you know, when you're a guru like that, you're very much into all the attention being on you, you don't tend to appoint a... You know, a successor. So it's, yeah. an, interesting, it's an interesting situation yeah. to see what will happen. Again, as I always say, it's going to be interesting to see how these groups, these old, these new religious movements from the 60s and 70s, how they continue on and how many generations they continue on after their guru dies. Yeah. It, uh, it's hard to see how they're going to attract new members. And, uh, well, what, what would be in it for somebody who wanted to go and join them? I mean, you know, there's there's yoga. There's um, a little bit of a community. Mm. There might be a place to stay. There might be a job. Um, you know, it's all about you know getting into these groups. It's kind of about what someone's vulnerability point is at that time. Yeah, you true. know, and someone says the right words and gives you the right sort of reassurance. Mm. Adi, but, you know, Franklin Jones seems like a good choice. 
I think sometimes as well, these groups are just ripe for the picking that, you know, somebody else with a very confident personality and maybe a little bit too much ego can step in and announce that they are the new incarnation of the guru and and take over. So I think so some of these groups are kind of, they're, they're vulnerable to, to that kind of predatory person. So what's the next uh, next thing you're going to be writing about? Oh, good. Um, I think I'm going to do um, some updates potentially on Hayden. Um, there's a new podcast out called Sex.Life. It, it's hosted by Morgan Penn, who is apparently a somatic, well, she is a somatic sexologist and radio DJ uh, Haley Sproul. She's also a comedian. Well, hang on. Can we, can we skip back to the, was that somatic sexologist? Yes, it was. Can you unpack that for us? I will unpack it the ne- during in my next article. That's where I'll unpack it. Oh, awesome. Very good. Excellent. But, <laughs> but, the, uh, but the key point about what this podcast is about is that each episode represents a day that Morgan spends at a quote unquote rural New Zealand sex school. <laughs> now, in the yeah well in the first episode it's like she's describing Hayden right off the bat you know she's mm. like yep I go off to the gate it's this huge gate they you know we buzz in on the intercom and as we're going down the lane towards this manor they she sees a sign that says you choose this you chose this <laughs> yeah so yeah, right yeah yeah uh, so that's it's it's 100 Hayden um so we are deconstructing or mostly yeah yeah we are deconstructing this on the culty conversations Facebook page um episode by episode just to see how this um how this how how morgan penn is you know going through what she what her experiences are and you know what what she's saying in contrast to what's happening at high den is she getting any any advice about you know what does a good facilitator do how can you decline to participate how can you remove your consent to or change your consent um in these sort of uh, in these containers mm. so i I imagine it's very hard to. I, I I think a lot of these groups they they have a very naive idea of what consent is, and uh, you know they're like, well, if somebody didn't actively say no loudly, then that's as good as consent. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> you need to be very careful. I don't know if it's naive. I think that's the it's the the thing. The point is, is that the idea that these containers are about pushing your boundaries. So it's about it's putting yeah. the choice on the participant. Yeah. You know, and then there's the whole thing about there's no such thing as a victim as well, isn't there? Which yeah, feeds yeah. into the your, same thing. Your, your growth comes from breaking your boundaries or from touching the edge of your boundaries. And, you know, listen to the podcast. It's been a very interesting uh, first five episodes. So be in- I, I'm looking forward to the next back half. And and what was it called again? Because I will definitely subscribe to that. Sex.life. And it's uh, sponsored by ZFM. Awesome. Hmm. Cool. Right. Well, we are getting uh, towards the end, I think. And mm. I guess we need to figure out what's going on around the country. Uh-huh. So we've got a Skeptics in the Pub coming up in June on the 6th of June at the Dyson Fork. In Auckland. Mm. In Auckland. Yes, of course. Uh, where else? Uh, um, where else? Wellington is where else. Yeah. Okay. And, and so Dunedin. <laughs> And Dunedin and Christchurch as well, perhaps. No, <laughs> only if you want to go to a pub quiz. I think that that's pretty much all they run these days. Well, they don't no. even run. Sorry, they take part in a pub quiz. <laughs> but yeah, we do have the Wellington Skeptics in the pub at Two Gray Street inside the Intercontinental Hotel in the Lounge, starting at six PM this Friday, May nineteenth. 
We're usually there till about what, 10, 1030 at night. It's a good time. Join us for some beers, drinks, nibbles. There's a there's actually a decent menu. It's a good time. Be there or be square. Be there or be unskeptical. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then for Dunedin, they are meeting at Umbrellos Kitchen and Bar on June 8th at 6 p.m. Go if you are very interested in the conference and you are in Dunedin, go in there, say hi to Josh and Hamish. Tell them what for. And 25th of May, 6 p.m. in Wellington, there is skeptical activism um, at the Fork and Brewer. Be great to see you there. Um, come and complain. It's fun. Very good. I think we should wind it up then. It's getting late here. I need to go I, to bed, have some am sleep. I, am I going to find out that you ad-lib the end as well as the beginning, or do you at least have the end written down? No, no oh. I do not. Man, you are so good at this. <laughs> it's different every time. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I'm, I'm taking a cue from you. So I have to tell the listeners that they've been listening to the ENR podcast and they, they want to give us some feedback, they can write an email to podcast at skeptics.nz. Yes, I love it. I've been keeping quiet about that for that so long. We didn't get any of those. We didn't get any. What? Well, have you seen any people writing to podcast at skeptics.nz? No, that's because you've never advertised it. Well, you advertised in the last podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't got anything yet, but it's early days. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, we would love to get some feedback. We got to give other, we got to give our listeners other than Susan a chance to give feedback is what we need to do. No, no, not, not we'd love to get feedback. If you don't want to give feedback, that's fine. I never give feedback to any podcast. If you want to give feedback, it's more than welcome, but no pressure. <laughs> okay. Very good. Don't, don't make right. us sound desperate, Craig. Even though we might be, don't make us sound that way. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll edit that bit out then. <laughs> Or you can leave it in. It's fine. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So you have been listening to the Year Now podcast. Please, 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 please send us some feedback. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have anxiety all week, Craig. <laughs> all right. We will see you all next time. Goodbye. Namihi. See ya. See ya.